As you see before you, I want to talk with you about perspective this morning. Perspective is a vantage point from which you're viewing things. That's all a perspective is. Now, something like this illustration of railroad tracks really illustrates the, di- the, the perspective of how things change the further you are away from them and all that kind of thing. You don't really notice this quite as much in real life unless you see something along this line. But where we're standing and how we're viewing things makes a lot of difference. And I think it makes a lot of difference in the way that we live our lives from day to day and maybe more so than we think. And that is because in the world that we live in, uh, Christianity and following the Lord is simply not a popular thing at all. And we find, probably as it has been for many centuries, that being, being a New Testament Christian is something that is frowned on, so therefore it puts pressure on us. I ran across this photograph some time back. Uh, this is this is the only photograph that we know of that every human being in the world except one is in the photograph. This was taken from the lunar module in orbit over the moon with one astronaut in it. I forgot his name now. Buzz Alden or somebody. Looking at the other module that had been on the moon that has two astronauts in it and then has the Earth in the background. So every other human being alive at that time in 1969 is in the picture except one. Only known photograph of its kind. Odd, isn't it? So me and Gary were in there, Stu, a few of the other old people were in that picture. We, we just don't know, we just didn't, can't see our faces, but we're waving. And I, this happened on, uh, July 20th to 23rd, you know, 1969. But that's a perspective. That, that perspective of this human being, it was very unique in the world. He could see everything. And when you hear these astronauts talk about this at the time, it's very chilling to hear what they say because some of them who weren't even religious were moved by what they saw. Now then you send somebody up in orbit like William Shatner, a notoriously secular person. He came away feeling depressed because humanity is so small and there's no purpose to it. So yes, that's his perspective. And from his perspective, I see why he would say that. Without God, yes, we are very tiny. We have no purpose and we make no, and nothing makes much sense. And that's the true perspective. But let's go and take a look at the scriptures because I think, and we're going to read a, a rather long psalm. It's like 18 or 19 verses. We're not going to read all at once. We're going to read it in chunks. And so you can open your Bible if you haven't or look up here. It'll be up here and look at this. But I want to begin in verse one of Psalm 73. One of my favorite psalms because of this read, because of what it says here. And it's written to show us that, uh, to talk to us about this very problem that we may feel. And I'm going to call it gaining perspective because I think how you view the situation you're in and you can go back and get the big picture of things once you get away from the surface and get back to the big picture like they took on the moon, you have a different perspective on things. Once you get that perspective, things change. So he says here, the psalmist does, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Then here's that critical word in the Bible, but... A contrast. Oh yes, God's good to Israel. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's contrasting his own position and his perspective from the rest of Israel. 
He's looking at other people saying, yes, other people are happy. Other people have good things. Other people's life is a success. But me, not so much. Other people seem to be making sense of things. But as for me, I'm about to fall. I cannot understand the world I live in. I feel like a failure. You can put a lot of things into that statement. I had almost stumbled. And there's a lot that might go there. Things in your life that you might feel this way about and see this. And I don't think this is an uncommon feeling at all. That we think somehow that our problems are unique and our situation is unique. I know I distinctly thought that as a young man, as a teenager and beyond that. But my situation was extremely unique. Well, it was in some ways, but not at all like I thought. And the gaining of perspective about that has altered completely the way I, I look at myself and the world. Well, I shouldn't say completely, but altered it dramatically. It's dramatically different now that I'm an old man. Because this is simply true and not true. Yes, God is good to Israel, and He's good to those who are pure in heart. But you're no different than all the rest. Those that you think are pure and hard. Easy for us to look at other people. And, and, and you know, today, psychologists will tell you it's worse for people today, maybe especially for young people uh, of various... Well, young, anything under, what, 69 is young? Anyway, some of you young people out there. Um, no, young people in their teens and 20s and so forth have this particular problem. And that's because they're on social media. And even if you go to, you know, Soccer Mom Facebook or Instagram, what you see is the good things that people want to post. All the great food they're eating. All the great places they've been. How beautiful their house looks. And they got this accoutrement, that accoutrement. And how many beautiful little scrub children they got and grandchildren. You're sitting there, you know, one ugly grandchild and you don't know what to do about it. I can't, and I can't help it if your grandchildren are ugly. Mine are not. You know, anyway. I mean, we were going on a great grandchild that's pretty sharp, pretty handsome little guy. So, you know, we, we keep, we know how to keep this going. But in any event, it's easy to look at that kind of thing. We get so, our perspective gets so altered by that. And I don't, we can say we know this, but I don't know if we feel it. But what people put on Instagram, Facebook, whatever they're putting it on, is an edited view of their life. And and you really know this with young people and young women in particular on is it Instagram that has all the filters? I know some of these people. I look at that and say, no, that might have been you 30 years ago, but that's not you now. Okay? There's a lot of wrinkles there. And I don't care about wrinkles, but they do apparently, so they make sure they get rid of them. No, and your hair is not that color. It's okay though. I meet people all the time. People don't want to get their picture taken. It's okay. And I just try to tell them, look, I already know what you look like and I still like you. You just need to understand that. People are, people already know what you look like. They still like you. We want to be around you. So it's okay if I take your picture because we already know. You think it's a secret what you look like. It's not a secret. Just because you can't see it. Anyway, I digress. People are funny, aren't they? But we look at what's on the internet. And we say, this must be the way it is. And we drive by a neighborhood with homes finer than ours. And we try to imagine what's inside. 
Sometimes we can guess because I leave the boxes on the on the curb. You know, we can guess what's in. We don't have to guess. We know what's inside. So do thieves, by the way. But anyway, we look and we try to imagine their perfect little scrub lives. They don't have problems with their kids or husband. Uh, they're not concerned about their future. They're not concerned about some physical ailment. They have, we thought, oh, their lives are perfect. But look at me. This is the way it is. We live with this. And it can be a big thing about the state of the country, or it can be a little thing about something that's going on with you. But we think that we are different. But as for me is the key phrase right there. And so we view things. And that's a perspective you can have on life. Once you get that perspective, poor me, everything is bad for me, then it changes the way you look. I get what is it? Prince Harry wrote, Prince Harry wrote this book recently called Spare. My wife's frowning because I mentioned Prince Harry, but when 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 he was apparently when he was born, the second son of the king or of the prince at that time, what's the King Charles now? His Charles said, "It's great. I've got an heir and I got a spare." That was his comment. You know, maybe jokingly, but that was his comment. I have an heir and I have a spare. So Harry says, "I'm the spare." That's the name of his book. And he pictures this woe, I haven't read it, I've read a lot of excerpts from it. It's a woe is me thing, how bad my life has been because of the expectations of being in the royal family and I don't like this and all the other people have it better than me. I wish I were just a normal person. I think he has no idea what a normal person lives like. I don't know that he knows. Maybe he would be. So go do that then. Give up all, but you won't give up the stuff he has, but he wants you to feel. So even the king's son says, as for me, you know, my life is terrible. Everybody else's life is great. Even the people living in Liverpool and all that, living in tenements and shacks, they're better off than me, as even as the princess. Oh, brother, it's pitiful. The Bible says in verse 3, he says, okay, as for me, my steps would almost slip. I, I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I was envious of these people. I wanted to be like the boastful, the proud, the arrogant. I see these people and we see this all the time. We might, we may put different words than boastful. We should use boastful or proud, but we see all these people on the late show and on television and on the internet. We see all these people who do not believe in God, do not live according to God's will, who mock the God of heaven constantly use his name in vain or on purpose curse his name. Sometimes they're cursing God's name is just trivia. It doesn't mean anything supposedly. And then sometimes they actually do curse his name for real. People like Alec Baldwin go around shooting people and thinking they should be set free. It's incredible. If that happened, if we, if any of you did what he did, you would already be locked up. Wouldn't even be a question about it. You would already. And why do I say that? Because they are. Okay? They are locked up. If any any of you did what Hillary Clinton did, what Donald Trump did, what Joe Biden did with classified documents, you would already be locked up because people are locked up for less than that. Already locked up for less. But, but, you know, they're, they're boastful, they're proud, so they don't, things don't happen to them. Do I sound envious? No, it's discouraging, because it shouldn't be that way. 
And, and yet it is. And so we can become envious of people and wish we were like them who are proud, boastful against God and boastful against the other people in the country. And we see it all around us. That's what the media presents to us of the world. And it alters our perspective. He says, there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. Even when they die, it doesn't seem to hurt them that much. He's right about that a little bit. From some witnessing of these events, there is, a, there is probably more pain at the funeral of a poor woman's when her husband dies or when her son dies than there is in the rich woman whose husband or son dies. More pain. Probably a greater loss because she doesn't have anything else. But he looks at these rich people and says they don't even, they don't even suffer in death. Even when they die, their strength is firm. We, we still think of it and we still uh, honor and worship them. They're not in trouble like other men, these ones who curse God's name. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. They wear it like a gold chain. Is that not what oftentimes the gold chains represent in our society? Pride, power, violence, threatening. Violence covers them like a garment. And yet, what's he saying about that? Nothing happens to them when they do this. Their eyes bulge with, King James says, fatness, I think. Their eyes bolt, they're, they're so, they have so many good things that their eyes are popping out of their head because they're so fat. I see this, this is one of my pet peeves. I only have maybe one. Nothing hardly ever upsets me, of course. But, <laughs> I, I see people writing all this stuff on Nextdoor and on Facebook complaining about food and restaurants. And I just, it worries me. It makes me, it makes me fearful of God's judgment upon us. We have more food than any other civilization, any other country has ever had in the history of the world by far. And you know what? It's not good enough for us. Not good enough for, someone complained the other day. Oh, I went to, I went to Ruby Tuesday or Chili's and it's nothing but a glorified Denny's. I'm thinking, what's wrong with Denny's? That's what I'm thinking. When I was a boy, going to some place like Denny's was like, man, that was the end of the world. That was high class. A lot of people can't afford to go to Denny's. But that's not good enough for most people in our society. Not at all. They got, and where can I find good food? Like we had up north. Public doesn't have any good food. It's all terrible, all horrible. These people from up north, we need such such a grocery store. I can't find decent meat anywhere to cook. And I like to cook and eat these fine foods all the time. I can't find any good food anywhere. Really? Your tastes are so refined, so high, that you can't go anywhere in South Florida and find good enough food to eat better than you deserve, probably. God's put it at your disposal. And they weren't complaining about the cost. They're just saying it's not even here. That nothing would satisfy them because they're, this is a glutton. It isn't how much you eat that makes you a glutton. It's the fact that you can only eat certain things because that's what's only what's good enough for you. You don't want to be satisfied with a certain quality of food and a type of this or type of drink and you don't want anything else. And yet we're a nation that spends billions of dollars on water, put it in plastic bottles for crying out loud. 
There are people, plenty of them, that, should I say this? They're too refined to even drink out of a faucet in their home. And I especially won't drink out of a bathroom faucet. I know that's probably some of you. They're way too good for that, to drink out of a faucet. Of course, when you go and buy the bottle and you go look at the bottle, it'll tell you from a, from a pure water from a municipal source. What does that mean? It means they got a faucet at the factory and they run it through city pipes and comes in there and you buy it. We're so refined that we can't even be thankful that we have clean water. I mean, there's people all over the world that have nothing but algae water to drink, full of diseases. But we're so fine. We are so, we have so much abundance, more than heart could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They don't mind oppressing other people, taking away their rights and privileges, doing something wicked. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. You don't think anybody in our society has got their mouth set against the God of heaven, use his name in vain every day and, and curse everybody around them? They speak loftily against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. He says, therefore his people. He began to think in verse 4 then that it was it's pointless to serve God. Why should I serve God when all these people that curse his name have it so much better than me and they do whatever they want and nothing happens to them? Therefore, his people return here in waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You think God knows about any of this? They, they would say, no, if he did, he would do something about it. So they say, God doesn't know. God doesn't. There's no God to look at these things. In verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly. Ungodly. Godly is a person based on the name of God who respects the person and authority of the creator. That's a godly person whose life is dominated from front to back, top to bottom with the idea of God and his holiness and his righteousness that he must be served and obeyed. That's a godly person. And so he's, he's always under control of what he thinks God's will is for right or wrong and for what he's going to do or not do. That's a godly person. The ungodly are like the uncola. That's not them. The word un here means not. The opposite. They refuse to be restrained by God until so they become gods themselves. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. You ever notice that? Yeah, they do. Some, some rich people, many rich people are, are decent, kind of ordinary people, but the kind he's talking about here are not. That's the only thing they have in mind. Now look, in America, I'll say this, nothing's 100%, but in America in general, if you put your heart to make money, you can make money. You, if you do, if you're willing to pay the price to make money, you can make money. You can go to the top. Most of us are not willing to pay that price in time or effort or whatever it may take. But you can go a lot further than you think you can and that you, that's set before you because you love it. And these are the people he's talking about. They love money and riches and abundance and they've set their heart on that. And they will never be happy. Whatever neighborhood they, they're in, they're looking at the next neighborhood that's better. Whatever size house they got, they're looking at the next size house up. Because they increase in riches. Why is that? He says, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I, I've tried to be a good person and do what's right and I, it's point, been pointless. 
And I've washed my hands in innocence. I've washed them in trying to be innocent, do what God says, and it's pointless. For all the day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Every morning I wake up, I got a whole new set of problems, the ones fixed from yesterday and the new ones today. I don't know what to do about any of them. I just go through the motions at work, try to make a little money, try to do this and do that and take the kids here and do this. And it gets on this, you're on this wheel, never stops. I've, I can't, he says, I've done what's right in vain. I think this has been a underlying current in God's people for a long time. It's the thing that so many Christians have fought against for all these millennia or thou, or de- uh, centuries. Is the idea that creeps into your mind, I've done this in vain because it isn't making it isn't making a difference. It's not working out. Other people have it better, and it works out better if you don't do what God says than it does when you do. There you go. You know, you know this happens this even filters down what we're talking about in Bible class this morning, the story of Dinah and Shechem. Does it filter down to our young women, for example, that the girls that are loose with their bodies get more boys, have more boyfriends, and do have more fun? Of course it filters. They can see it. It's right in front of them. It's obvious to them. This is what it is. And so they sell their soul and their body to have what the other girls have, and then they pay a price. The other girls will pay the price too. Some of them won't pay as big a price because they don't care. But in the, in the end, everybody cares. But that's it filters all the way down, you see, to this whole thing. And so he said, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So I said, if, if I had, I know though, what's troubling him in verse 15, I think, if I read this verse properly, that if I if I would be like them, I could do that, but I'm caught in the middle because I know if I did that, I would have been untrue to what's right. I would be telling a lie to the people around me, even my children. I'd be telling a lie if I did that, even though I could do it. It looks like it works. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I just don't know how to resolve it. Now, this is in what's called in philosophy or religion the problem of evil kind of twisted a little bit the problem of evil is why does god allow bad things to happen to good people in a nutshell or why is there evil in the world when god is supposed to be good and all-knowing and yet he can't control this evil and can't stop it that's the problem of evil and it's a good it's the number one reason why people don't believe in god Beside the fact that they want to do what's wrong, but real real reasons for as for real reasons this that's the number one reason and I know this from experience. And now when you add in this, this happens to people even who are Christians or other people that, that doesn't look like the world work. It just doesn't work this way. You're taught that if you do well, things will go well for you and things will work out and that's what's right and God wants it for you. But it doesn't work out that way. He said, well, I thought about how I to know this. It was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. So here's the Gaining perspective. He lost his perspective. Couldn't see it. And he had gone into this valley. Stayed there. Until it says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I considered their end. So I went into the quiet of God's sanctuary in the presence of God. And when I was there, 
I considered the end of these people. What's really going to happen here? What's really the result? What's really the truth about what I'm seeing? See, here's what the New Testament does. We see the world right before our eyes, and it doesn't match up sometimes with what what we think it should be. The Bible is over here giving us a perspective on that and to read the real truth about it. Do the wicked prosper? They appear to for a time, but we know as believers that they don't prosper. They will soon be destroyed, you see. It appears that doing what you want is the right thing. It might even work for a while. Quote, quote around the word work. Immorality, wickedness, greed, those things might work for a while. But in the big picture, they don't. And we see some evidence of this in real life. You probably all experienced that jerk in high, in college or high school who mistreated, who used people, mistreated people, climbed over the top of people to get to the top. You, you may have run into these people in the workplace if you work in like an office or hierarchical setting who, who early on, they will do anything to get ahead and you can't trust them. Even you try to trust them, but you can't. They will climb over the top of you and get to get what they want and they get promoted. And the evidence shows that these kind of people get promoted faster and more quickly than people who have integrity and who are thoughtful of other people and try to follow basic social norms. Those other people get promoted. What the evidence also shows is that 10 years out, those people are stuck where they are. But people with integrity have gone past them in the real world. Don't know. That's what they say. And you know... They say a lot of things, and you have to believe what they say because they say it, right? So I'm putting that out there as a little bit of a caveat on that. But it it makes sense that, yes, those people would get promoted. But then as they work with other people in the real world, those people that are graspy and greedy and self-oriented and treat people poorly, uh, it catches up with them eventually. And they don't get promoted. And they don't get along with people. So other people begin to sabotage them that they can't control. So you can see some of this in the world, but you don't see a lot of that. I, but I went to the God sanctuary and understood therein. Look at this. You need to remember this this week as you go about your business when you run into this situation. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation as in a moment they were are utterly consumed with terrors. As in a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you will despise their image. So you have this terrible dream. I have terrible dreams. Thankfully, usually when I wake up, it's gone. As soon as you wake up, it's gone. All the emotional leftovers might hang around for a few hours, but the dream is gone. Now there are times, but generally speaking, that's what he's talking about. These people are like a dream. They appeared there and they seem so real. It seems like this is reality, that wickedness pays off. Wickedness and immorality and greed, they win the day. But really, when the Lord wakes up and shakes, it's all going away. You set them in some, all this stuff you see around you, all this wickedness and immorality in our country, where we're destroying our children, where, where immor- immorality, fornication, adultery, every perversion you can think of is being promoted and pushed as if it's the good thing to do. Homes being destroyed. All the delusion about narcotics and drugs and, and intoxication. 
that people are living under and they think this is the way to go and they're getting more and more entrenched in our... I have to tell you from these verses, I think this is right. That's all going to change. God is going to bring all of this nonsense to an end. A day we don't know what a woman is and who's what. God's going to bring all of that to an end and it'll probably happen more quickly than anybody can believe. We're all surprised how quickly we went from, well, you know, I guess we won't persecute gay people to now you have to have them appointed to every office in the land and you can't say a word about it. We're surprised how quickly we went from one to the other. Well, it's going to be surprising the other way too. When God puts an end to this kind of immorality, it's going to be sudden and swift and the people involved in it sometimes will go too far. I know that. They will go too far and there'll be other wickedness associated with it. Because the other side of this is not pretty either. Humans do not ever stop at what's right. They go from one extreme to the other. And you can expect that whatever political regime replaces this foolishness might be just as bad the other direction. That's human nature. But I'll tell you this. It's not going to last forever. You're, you're here in your mind when you're, you're an older person like me. You're seeing the progression of things in a generation or two and how far it's come in people's thinking, how, how it's damaged our young people. They don't even want to go out and get a job. They don't even want to try. They're sitting at home stoned or, or stoned on video games, whatever it may be. They don't even want to try. We see this and it breaks your heart. I'm not angry about it. it it's heartbreaking. God's going to bring that to an end. And we can have confidence in that. So when you wake up tomorrow and you think this is the way it is and, and wickedness is one, just know you're wrong about that. There is an answer, and that's the game perspective. They are brought down. God set them in slippery places. You realize, for example, that the gay rights movement is now torn in pieces by transgenderism all around the world. The transgender element of the gay rights movement has shredded this whole movement and it's in tatters around the world. It's still pushed out there by the media and Hollywood as if it's the only thing that there is, but it isn't that way. And I'll tell you the other thing you're going to see. The gay rights movement and modern feminism have destroyed women. They've made all you women irrelevant because now you can have people with testosterone full of bodies full of testosterone pretending to be women taking over what women can do. You guys can't even swim right. Can't throw a rock right because there's a man there with a wig on that can do it better than you. You've been erased. You women have been erased by this stuff. A lot of you bought into it of feminism, but you've been erased by it. Because it goes together. That's going to end. Do you think really that God wants half of his creation that he loves erased and made to be nothing? You thought it was bad under the quote unquote patriarchy. It's really going to be bad for you soon. And then in doing that, what you've also destroyed is men who you need very badly. Good men with integrity and courage and take responsibility and uh, use their strength to help you, not hurt you. You need good men, but we've erased those. But 
You think that's going to last? That God's going to allow His creation? He made He made His creation this way for men to be men and women to be women and to help each other, balance each other. You think He's going to let it continue when everything's flipped sideways? No, He won't. He won't let that happen. It's going to change because He's He is the one who's in control. And so, in a moment, they're going to be brought to a desolation, and it's like a dream. We'll look back and say, "Wow, that was weird." What just happened there? Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind and I was so, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He says, when I thought about this in the sanctuary, what God really is like and what he's really going to do, I was, I was upset with myself because I lost faith. I was upset with myself because I thought God wasn't in control, that he was going to continue like this on and on and on. The progression was going to never stop. I was foolish because I was envious at the arrogant and the boastful and the, and the wicked and the lustful. I was disgusted with myself because I thought that was better and somehow I should give up. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you and you hold me by my right hand. God never let go of him though in, in all of this. You will guide me with your counsel, the word of God, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. That, those last few statements are very moving and we don't have time to consider them all this morning. But he, is, he reaffirms his absolute commitment to the word of God and to Jehovah and to do what God says, in spite of what he sees around him. Now, this is the call for the 21st century. This is the call to us. Written thousands of years ago, this is very, very pertinent, relevant to how we view the world. So you get the right perspective back if you've lost it. And know where God is and where you are in the scheme of things. And don't be fooled by what you see all around you every day. It, it's a dream. It's a shimra. God will not allow it to stand. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. I'm sorry we've gone over a little bit, but um, I, I do appreciate your indulgence in these things. And we're going to close our service now with a call to for you to repent if you need to repent, like this man did. Realize that I've been on the wrong track. Perhaps you need to make amends with the Lord and with your fellow man for something. We can help you with that. We're going to give you a chance when we sing this song to come down to the front. Perhaps this morning you need to become a Christian and be baptized for the remission of your sins, as the scriptures say, that you can become a Christian in truth and begin to serve God in a new life. Can we help you? Come to the front right now. Let's sing. Stand and sing.